chapter 14, but also if you didn't get one of these books we're using on Wednesday night, I've got one if anyone needs one. So if you don't have a book, let me know and we'll get one to you. Hopefully you've got one with you and you're ready to go. I've got some if you need one, so don't hesitate to tell me if you need one. Page 17 in the book, lesson number four. We're talking about issues of life, different things in the Word of God that are just practical things that for us to remember and for us to know. We have to know these things and we have to be reminded of them from time to time because we live in a world that will never remind us of these things. And so we have to remind ourselves from the Word of God how to think. And I'm so thankful for the Bible because if it wasn't for the Bible, I wouldn't know how to think. I would be thinking like everybody else who doesn't use the Bible to think and they use something else to think. I read in this lesson, I read it is impossible to be truly a spiritual person while being a scriptural person. A lot of times someone says they're very spiritual. That that doesn't necessarily mean they're scriptural because the Bible talks about trying the spirits or testing the spirits and you can be spiritual and be some other kind of spirit. But to be spiritual <clears throat> as far as God's spirit, you have to be scriptural. And there's no way that we can uh, be right with the Lord and right with the word of God unless we're following it and we're scriptural and uh, then we're in tune with what the lord would have us to know and so in romans chapter 14 we're looking at this personal accountability are we personally accountable to god yes we are and romans chapter 14 verse 11 says for it is is written as i live saith the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god that is the saved and the unsaved will stand before god There's two different judgments, the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ, but all of us will stand before the Lord. We will all give an account to the Lord. The unsaved will give a different account. The unsaved will give an account for the things that they uh, did not listen to, number one, that they did not listen to salvation, did not listen to the gospel. And so without the gospel, uh, they're lost and they're on their way to hell and they'll be judged, as it says in Revelation 20. But those of us who are saved, we're also going to give an account. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so verse 12 says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And that is referring specifically to the Christian. We will also give an account of ourselves to the Lord. Every individual. Now I know there are people, uh, maybe be, maybe in here, myself included, that we tend to blame someone else for why we are the way we are. Um, my parents didn't do right, and that's that's probably true. That's probably true. Our parents didn't do right. Um, and uh, my dad did this, or my mom did that, or they weren't there, or whatever it might be. And that all certainly has a huge impact on us. There's no doubt about it. But when all the dust settles, you are still going to answer for you. You're still going to give an account for you. God knows, and God will take into account what our situation was but we're still going to give an account for ourselves and um, and we need to understand that every one of us God's word says in Galatians 5 1 stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and so we're talking about the idea of soul liberty uh, the idea of having the individual liberty of of the soul to make decisions for ourselves and what we do and what we choose Soul liberty is rooted in the word of God. Uh, The individual freedom of the soul is inherent in man's nature as God created him. The individual freedom that we have. Individual soul liberty is one of the great distinctives of Baptist people. Do you know that? 
Baptists, unlike any other religious group, have this understood more than anyone else. Did you know that my children are not Baptist because I told them they had to be? Now, when they were growing up, in the years that they lived in my home and ate my food, and we still got a couple of them that are kind of, you know, sloughing off and still staying at home instead of moving out. But in the years that they were under my roof, they had to do what I said. But they're not Christians because I made them Christians. I can't. I can't make them Christians. And when they leave my home, I can't make them anything. That We believe in individual soul liberty. I did not, although I wanted to, and yet I was cautious about it, I did not want to baptize my kids before I knew they were truly saved. And you've heard me tell the story of Sam, how he wanted to get baptized. But you know, there are a lot of people out there that baptize their babies. They don't practice individual soul liberty because they tell their children, you're a Lutheran, you're a Catholic. You've been that ever since you were a baby. I didn't make that decision. Somebody else made it for me. But truly, we believe that it has to be an individual choice. Every individual must choose. Adam and Eve is a picture of this. You know, this idea that man doesn't have choice choices. No, Adam and Eve is a picture. Eve chose. And the Bible says that Adam chose because he wanted to stay with Eve. And so Adam chose. They, they made that conscious decision what they did. And um, in our world today, with what's going on, our nation is very different than any other nation on planet Earth. Our nation is very different and unusual because of the foundation that it has. Uh, we, we have a, a, a nation that was founded more closely to this concept than any other nation ever. And uh, we understand the individual freedom and liberty that everyone has. <clears throat> For instance... I do not agree with Catholics and Lutherans and I do not agree with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and I do not agree with uh, other religions and denominations and whatnot. However, I believe they have the right to be what they want to be. I think they're wrong, but they have the right to be what they want. Now, they don't have the right to call themselves Bible Christians because the Bible speaks against what they say they are as Christians. They're not Christian. But they can be whatever they want to be in a free society, that's, that's okay. Now listen to what someone said over 100 years ago. Someone, a Baptist preacher, said this. Our demand has been not simply for religious toleration, but religious liberty. And, and just, just so you know, religious tolerance is a man-made idea. Religious liberty is different. Religious tolerance sounds like a gift from the government. Religious liberty is a gift from God. We have religious liberty because God made us individual choosers. Not sufferance merely, but freedom. And that not for ourselves alone, but for all men. We did not stumble upon the doctrine. It inherits, excuse me, it, it inheres in the very essence of our belief. Christ is Lord of all. The conscience is the servant only of God and is not subject to the will of man. This truth has indestructible life. Crucify it, and the third day it will rise again. Bury it in the sepulcher, and the stone will be rolled away, while the keepers become as dead men. 
Steadfastly refusing to bend our necks under the yoke of bondage, we have scrupulously withheld our hands from imposing that yoke upon others. In other words, it's kind of old English, but we've never imposed upon anyone else our religion with force. We've never forced anyone. Of martyr blood, our hands are clean. We, as Baptists, have never martyred other people. However, as Baptists, we've been martyred. We have never invoked the sword of temporal power to aid the sword of the Spirit. Never used coercion or government to try to aid the sword of the Spirit. We have never passed an ordinance inflicting a civic disability on any man because of his religious views, be he a Protestant or a Papist, that'd be a Catholic, or a Jew or a Turk or a Muslim or an infidel. In this regard, there is no blot on our escutcheon, that's an old word, or emblem or coat of arms. And another Baptist preacher said it even longer than that, and let me quote him, and this quote is on the wall out there in the foyer. We believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. Not saying that the Christians in the first century had Baptists on their sign or even had a building or property, but that the original Christians were, by default, Bible believers following in the footsteps of Christ, which means that they were saved, baptized, and added to the church. We did not commence our existence at the Reformation. We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were born. See, a lot of people think that there's Catholic and Protestant. But that's not what we are. We're not either Catholic or Protestant. You know why? Because the very, the very word Protestant means that you protested something, which was what Martin Luther did. Martin Luther was a Catholic that protested the Catholic faith and started the Lutheran, okay? We don't think we're Protestants. We were around before Catholic or Protestant, okay? True Bible-believing Christians were around before that. We applaud the Protestants, and yet we know the Protestants didn't go far enough. As I said a minute ago, Lutherans baptize their babies too. And Calvinists and Lutherans tend to use coercion to force people. In fact, both Lutherans and Calvinists have been guilty of persecuting Bible-believing Christians because they wouldn't conform to their way of thinking. I don't know if you know this or not, but after America got started in 1621 and the pilgrims came, pretty soon it wasn't too long before the Puritans started persecuting those who wouldn't follow along with them. And they sailed from Atlantic, across the Atlantic, for religious freedom, right? But then they couldn't tolerate what someone else was doing that wasn't up to their their par. We never came from the Church of Rome, he goes on to say. We were never in it. But we have an unbroken line of up to the apostles themselves. We have always existed from the very days of Christ, and our principles sometimes veiled and forgotten like a river which may travel underground for a little season, have always had honest and holy ad- adherence. Per- persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of almost every sect, yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which persecuted others. Nor, I believe, any body of Baptists ever held it to be r- right to put the consciences of others under the control of man. We have ever been ready to suffer, as our martyologies will prove, our history of martyred, will prove but we are not ready to accept any help from the state and unfortunately there are a lot of churches that are accepting help from the state to uh, prostitute the purity of the pride of Christ to any alliance with government 
And we will never make the church, although the queen, the despot over the consciences of men. And so we have to recognize the individual liberty and freedom that an individual has. I saw something just the other day. I posted, I shared it. It was a picture of the serpent on a pole. And and on the top of it, of the top of the of the picture, it said Calvinism. And underneath it showed one person saying, I want to look towards it, but I just can't lift my face. And another person saying, I don't really want to look at it, but I can't help but looking at it. That's just a simply I, simplistic I way of, of saying, you know, Calvinism says, well, God just chooses some people to be saved and some people. No, no. God gives everyone the individual choice of salvation. God gives everyone the individual decision to make or to not make the choice of salvation, to make the choice individually. We have the individual soul liberty we choose. Praise God, and by the grace of God, I was born into a family who parents were getting saved and wanting to find truth. What a blessing that is. And every young person ought to thank God that you're even here tonight and that you have somebody in your life that's influencing you that way. However, you still individually have to choose, just like I still have to make that choice. We have to make those choices. With COVID just happening a couple of years ago, I think this statement even it makes more is more powerful than before. But let me read you something another man said one time. He said, since the state cannot answer for us to God, it has no right to dictate our conscience. The state will not stand before God. No state, no nation will, as a state will stand before God, but individuals will stand before God. And so the decision that was made a couple of years ago was, you know, it's just like when we have a blizzard or anything else that's going on in our world uh, or in our community, uh, we're going to unlock the doors. And if you want to come to church, you can. And if you don't want to come, that's your choice. But that's always the way it is at Mountain View Baptist Church. It's just always been like that. But, but what about COVID? No different. If, if that person wants to come in and walk in and sit down, that's their choice. And uh, it doesn't matter what everyone else says. And thankfully, as an American, we have this thing called the First Amendment, which says that we have freedom of assembly. And, and we, we have freedom of assembly. That hasn't changed. That, that doesn't, it, it never changed. So we, we practice individual soul liberty, and, and we should recognize that and not be afraid to say that's what we are. No coercion or control over the souls of men. Now, if you're a parent, well, as a parent, you can only go so far. As a parent, it is my job to make sure that my children are not so tired that they can't stay awake for church. I can do that. If I work hard, I can make sure my kids get enough sleep and that then, then on top of that, they have enough discipline. And I can work on them. And I, can, and I did this, pinch them. And I used to have this, I won't say which one of my kids it was, but she used to squirm whenever she'd sit on my lap. And she'd squirm a lot, and I would just, and I would just whisper, no, right in her ear. And she knew that that no meant you're in big trouble if you can't listen. And so she'd sit still. Now, she's so young, she's not even really comprehending what's going on. But I'm teaching her the habit of sitting still. You say, why is that important? Because one day I know that if she's sitting still, it will make sense. But we got kids that are 12, 15, 32 that can't sit still. Okay? We got people that can't sit still, can't stay awake. And I'm telling you right now, I as a parent can help them. 
I as a parent can make sure that they know more about how to read and write than they do about Mario or PlayStation 3 or 4 or 10 or whatever. They understand more about education, understand how to think so that they can think and I can give them all kinds of advantages for that way, but I cannot make them believe on Jesus Christ. I can't make my children get saved. That is an individual choice. I remember talking to a Catholic here in Custer 19 years ago when I first came to town. 18, 19, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a long time. Talking to a local Catholic here in town, businessman, been here a long time. And I pointed to my daughter and I said, look, I said, she claims to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. We're not in a hurry to baptize her until we know that that's true. But she will get baptized, and she did. But obviously, that's the first thing you guys do is baptize your babies. But we believe that they have to choose on their own. They have to make that choice. That has to be a decision they make. And we can't tell them they're Catholic or tell them they're Baptist. You can say, your daddy's the Baptist preacher, but until you get saved and baptized, you ain't one. And, and that's because of individual soul liberty. Uh, we don't believe it's the right to exercise control and coercion over the souls of men. Uh, in our country, we enjoy the freedom to worship God as our conscience dictates. We enjoy separation of church and state, which means that the church and the state operate independently side by side. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. And so we, we recognize that the government does have some things that they have a right to, and then there are some things the government doesn't have a right to, but God does. Church is not over the state. State's not over the church. We came to this scriptural structure because of the influence of Baptist people on the founding fathers of our nation. See, American history didn't go Pilgrim, 1621, George Washington, 1776. No, there was 150 years there of stuff that was going on. Stuff like the picture out there where the guy's getting whipped just for exercising the right to assemble. He's getting whipped for it. That happened in Boston Square, downtown Boston, where the Boston Massacre took place later on. It was stories like that and the persecution of these Bible-believing Baptists who said, no, no, we're, we're not going to just have this state religion. And the Massachusetts state religion was congregational. They weren't congregational. And, uh, and they, they met a, in a different way and at a different time with different people, and that was illegal. And because of that, he was getting whipped for it. His name was Obadiah Holmes. But those things were a great influence on other people. But he was not going to give in to that. And it was that kind of founding. Patrick Henry was never a Baptist, but he sure did like him. And Patrick Henry loved the Baptist so much that he rode 30 miles on a horse to defend three Baptist preachers that were being tried for preaching without a license. Over in England uh, in the 1600s, there was this guy named uh, John Bunyan who also uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress from prison but spent over a decade in prison because he wouldn't preach with a license. And and let me just read you some of that, some of that... um, that took place with, with John Bunyan. Let me, let me see if I can give it this real quickly here and, and I'll paraphrase some of it. The judge Wingate said, I want to remind you here that, uh, well, let me just back up here. Um, I, I don't want to read all this. It'll take too much time. 
But the judge says, we're not here to debate the merits of the law. And basically Bunyan, John Bunyan saying, this law is a bad law. You can't dictate which religion a man can be. That was John Bunyan's whole problem. And uh, the judge says, we're not here to, to, to debate the merits of the law. And John Bunyan said, well, maybe you're not here, but I'm here for that reason. I mean, that's exactly why I'm here. And uh, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. But um, Judge Wingate says, let me understand you. You're arguing that every man has a right given him by Almighty God to seek the deity in his own way, even if he chooses without the benefit of the English church? That is precisely what I'm arguing, my Lord, or without the benefit of any church. Do you know what you are saying? What of Papists and Quakers? What of pagan Mohammedans or Islamists? Have, you, have these the right to seek God in their own misguided way? Even these, my Lord. May I ask if you are particularly sympathetic to the views of these or other deviant religious societies? I am not, my Lord. I am not. I don't agree with them. I just think that they have the right to choose, see, and on and on it went. And so uh, Bunyan ends, it says this, on the basis, my Lord, that a man's religious views or lack of them are matters between his conscience and his God and are not the business of the crown, the parliament, or even with all due respect, my Lord, of this court. However much I may be in disagreement with other men's sincerely held religious beliefs, neither I nor any other may disallow his right to hold those beliefs. No man's rights in these affairs are secure if every other man's rights are not equally secure. And so the idea of religious freedom and religious individual soul liberty, that's a, that's a concept that I think Baptists have championed more than anybody, if, if truly a Bibling Baptist. And of course, you know, if you've been around here any length of time, that the Virginia Baptists before the 1776 revolution and then after the 1776 revolution, it was the Virginia Baptists who were so strong that Virginia was just cranking out religious liberty. I mean, it was just oozing out of the state. And religious liberty was something that really came out of this Virginia Baptist movement and to the point where John Leland, one of the pastors, met with James Madison because James Madison knew that he didn't have a chance to even win the delegate nomination if he doesn't have the support of the Baptist Virginians and Virginia Baptists. So he went to John Leland and said, what do I got to do to make you guys happy? He said, I drafted the Constitution. Don't you like it? And they said, well, it just doesn't go far enough. And they gave him about 10 different things that they wanted to see added. And James Madison promised him on a handshake back when that meant something that we get this Constitution ratified, I promise you we'll add a Bill of Rights. And just go look at it. The First Amendment is all about what we're talking about. It's all about freedom of religion, freedom of speech, which is what I'm doing, freedom of assembly, which is what we're all doing, freedom of the press is why we're all carrying our own Bible, freedom, individual freedom. And we have that, and that, that's largely because of what was taking place spiritually in these New England states and spiritually in some of these places like Virginia. And uh, praise God for that. Praise God for the freedoms. And so you have like Patrick Henry, who was a lawyer from Virginia. You have James Madison. You have George Washington. You have Thomas Jefferson. These are all Virginians. And they were influenced greatly. And so we have great power of influence. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's point number three. But let me start with point number one, personal accountability to God. Genesis one twenty-seven. I mentioned this already. But in Genesis one twenty-seven, it says that man was created in the image of God. 
when God created man, he created man capable of giving a personal account. The Bible says man was created in God's image. And so just as God is able to think and not is not an, a robot, God made man with a personal choice, a freedom of conscience and a freedom to choose. And God did not make man like the angels. Angels are more like minions. They're robots. They don't have the ability to make decisions like you and I can make concerning those things. He created man capable of giving a personal accountable of himself to God. He gave man the right to choose. Man willingly chose to disobey the Lord. And that's what I said earlier. Adam and Eve both chose and they made choices. And isn't it a blessing that God chose to give them an opportunity to be forgiven after they made the wrong choice. It's not right to force one's religion or belief upon another individual. Every person has a God-given right to believe anything he wishes to believe. However, this does not mean that he can be a Christian by believing anything he wishes to believe. See, the Bible's still the Bible. And so you can believe whatever you want, and I can tell you you're wrong. If the Bible is saying something against what you believe, I can take the Bible and, t- and with with the Bible I have authority. Without the Bible, I have no authority. So, as an individual, I can tell another individual according to the Word of God, "You're wrong." But that doesn't mean that individual has to listen to me. But they should listen to the Bible. So anybody can believe anything they want, but that doesn't mean they can be a Christian and believe anything they want. Okay. The only way of salvation is still through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 10 and John chapter 14. When we used to go to Star Academy, I used to always do my best to blame it on the Bible, and I still do. But especially at Star Academy, since that was a government institution, John chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door. There is no other door than Jesus. And John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and life. How many men? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So whenever I would get asked the question, being at Star Academy, someone would ask me, well, what about this religion? What about this religion? A lot of times they would ask, what about the Native American religion? Because that's a big one here in South Dakota. And then you know what I said? You know what? We're here as a Bible chapel so we're going to talk about what does the bible say and the bible says that jesus said red letters no man can come unto the father but by him there is no other way to heaven than through jesus christ he is the way okay he is the truth and he is the life he's the only way he is the door now you can talk about some other ways that you might want to think but there is no other way it has to be the bible way it has to be the gospel way if you don't like that, then let's just admit something. You don't like the Bible, all right? Everybody wants to blend it together and everybody wants to, let's just all get along and we'll all agree that everybody's way is still a good way. That's not the way of the, of the, of the Lord. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the word of God. It can't be that way. Although others may sin against us, we cannot go through life blaming others for the people that we are, as I said earlier. All of us are going to stand before the Lord someday and answer to him because we are personally accountable to God. We personally will give an account to the Lord. Now, let me add something to that. There are some cases where you are accountable for some other people besides you. 
I can think of two instances right now. First of all, I can think of an instance where if you are a father and you are a husband or you're just a husband, either way, you are the head of the home. And according to the word of God, the man is the head of the home and he chooses for the family. As a matter of fact, even though Eve had already sinned, it wasn't brought death upon all the world until what? The head of the home chose to do so also. Because man is the responsible one. And so as men, you are responsible. You can say, just like Adam said, the woman that you gave me. You can say, the kids you gave me. The wife you gave me. No, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. We are accountable to, to God for our children and our family, our, our home. And so as a parent and as a husband... I do believe I will give an account for myself, but that account will then include how my children were raised and how my wife was led. I will also give an account. She'll have to give an account as to whether or not she submitted to that and whether or not she obeyed that or not. She'll give an account for that. My kids will give an account as to whether or not children obey your parents. They'll give an account for that. They will. However, as a father, I will give an account. For instance, were you lazy, dad? Were you sleeping on the job? Were you doing stuff you ought not be doing? Were you off doing this instead of what you should be doing? Hey, that's dad's responsibility. Okay? Now, kids, you got a dad that's doing stuff they shouldn't be doing? You know what? Dad's going to answer for that. But guess what? If you use that as an excuse, you're wrong too. Because you still have an accountability. Because everybody's personally accountable. And if we all just do what we're supposed to do, boy, it's a wonderful thing. The other illustration where someone will give an account for more than just themselves is in Hebrews chapter 13 where it says the pastor gives an account for the people that he pastors. And the pastor will also, so here I am as a parent and as a pastor, I got lots to give an account for. But individually, we will give an account for the job that we did or didn't do. And we could point fingers, but I promise you this. I promise you this, and you already know it. Standing before God, pointing fingers ain't going to work. He knows it all. He knows it all. So we need to first of all understand, there is a personal accountability to God for each one of us. So if I'm trying to teach my kids to do right, I need to introduce, introduce them into a God who will one day they stand before him. They will one day meet him. And if they believe in this God because they see mom and dad believing in this God, it only stands to reason that they're going to come to the conclusion that this God is to be feared. In fact, the spanking that goes on in my home or that used to go on in my home was because God says we need to do this. Best thing you can do is tell your kids the reason why we have to have punishment and the reason why you need to be disciplined is because you disobeyed God. You disobeyed the Bible. When, when I told you to do something and you didn't, you children obey your parents. And because you disobeyed the Bible, I have to take care of you for that. And, and to understand, it's not just a whipping from dad. It's because God was disobeyed. So then not only the personal accountability to God, but then the priesthood of every believer. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 all who have trusted Christ as Savior enjoy the glorious 
privilege of the priesthood of the believer. First Timothy 2 talks about this, and we'll look at it. We can access God through the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the Mother Mary. The priest at the local parish. No, there's one mediator between God and men, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. And so he is the high priest. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest. And individually, it says, we have access to God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. And it tells us that Jesus, the mediator between God and men, we can go to God through him. You know, you've heard me say it, and I hear you say it too. We pray, and usually when we close our prayer, what do I usually say? In Jesus' name, amen. It's a habit. But you know, the Bible tells us that we should pray in Jesus' name. But you know, that's not really what the Bible's telling us to do. It's not saying, tag in Jesus' name on the end, and boom, it's all good. No, what the Bible's saying is, is that the only way we have access to God is in Jesus' name. In other words, any prayer outside of Jesus is not going to reach God the Father. Because Jesus is the mediator. So when I say in Jesus' name, it's not wrong to say it. But the concept is, is that the only way I could possibly have my prayers heard at the throne of grace is because of my high priest, Jesus Christ. So Christ and Christ alone is our only way to God. And as a believer, I have a priesthood. I have an individual priesthood. I don't have to rely on somebody else to be my priest to get to God. I have Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we are a royal priesthood because we're also children of the king. We can personally talk to God when we can, and we can take our needs to him. We have no merit of our own that makes us worthy to access God, but we can go to him at any moment through Jesus Christ, our high priest. So in our praying, it really doesn't matter if you say in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, as long as you are praying in Jesus' name. As long as you understand that you're praying in Jesus' name, that's the important part, but I don't think it's wrong to say it either. But the whole idea here is that we are praying in the name of Jesus. And by the way, if I'm praying publicly, I would say in Jesus' name just so everybody else knows this is the only way to pray, in the name of Jesus. So we can go to him at any moment through Jesus Christ, our high priest, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is alive making intercession for us. And only by him can anyone be saved. So if anyone rejects the Jesus of the Bible and chooses some other Jesus, and oh, by the way, there is another Jesus out there. There is another gospel out there. But the Jesus of the Bible doesn't need anyone else, including his mother, to get to God. That's blasphemy. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because it says in verse 14 and 15, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ. And because we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. I think, and I've heard this more than once, Sometimes, in fact, someone recently asked me this. They said, Pastor, 
on Sunday morning, sometimes you and some some of the other, like the song leader, will pick someone to pray. I think last Sunday morning they picked David to pray or they picked someone. Uh, Dave Williams, would you open us in prayer? And Pastor, I, do you do you guys tell Dave Williams ahead of time that you're going to pick him to pray? No, we don't. And and I've heard other people say things like, "Wow, you." That was a magnificent prayer that you prayed. And you didn't read that. Well, no. But did you realize that a lot of places they read their prayers? That isn't how we're supposed to pray. We're just supposed to pray as if we're talking to God. And I said this to this person. We're just talking to God. And in that case, we're just talking out loud to God. And and people that we know are talking to God in private, we don't have a problem with asking to talk to God in public because we know they're used to talking to him in private. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. See, we have this boldness and this confidence because of Jesus. And I think the reason why people who are not saved are amazed at the prayers that they hear a Christian pray is because it's like, you just talk to him. Exactly. Exactly. And you and I take it for granted. But I think an unsaved person that when they hear a Christian pray, it's like, I don't even know how you do that. And it's because they don't know the mediator, Jesus Christ. So, the priesthood of every believer, the personal accountability to God, and thirdly, the power of influence. Where does this teaching about personal accountability to God and the priesthood of every believer lead? It leads us to realize the importance of the power of influence. This is the tool God's given us. See, we can't force a baby to be baptized. We can't force a baby to, to be Christian. A lot of people have turned their back on religion because they were forced to be something as a baby, as a child. But when you are told the truth and it is lived out in front of you, you know there's something true about it. There's something real. Now there are some that will rebel and maybe go off and do their own thing and they have to learn the lessons the hard way. But I'm telling you right now, if you get a dose of reality and the dose of truth, nothing else is going to satisfy and so mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, don't lose hope. Even if your children or grandchildren are running off doing whatever, understand that the power of influence is huge. <clears throat> and so we use the power of influence, not coercion. I, listen, I use lots of coercion when it comes to sitting still and behaving. And, and sitting still and, and listening and whatever it might be. And it, and it could be that, uh, my child went to someone's house after Sunday morning church. They came back Sunday night and then they fell asleep in church. And I say, hey, listen, you can't fall asleep in church. So we're not gonna let you play around in Sunday afternoon because we wanna make sure that you get enough rest so you can stay awake in church. Why? Because we think it's important because we want you to hear everything. I remember when Hannah was just four and Sam was one, do I got my dates right? And Hannah is three or four, and Sam is just a baby, and Hannah is spoon-feeding cream of wheat to Sam in the high chair. 
and 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 Hannah's spoon feeding, and she's saying, "You got to eat. Hurry up! You got to eat." And there's a piece of bread there, and there's a little juice. And also, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just and I'm just kind of all of a sudden, Hannah says, "We eat this bread and we drink this cup to show the Lord's death." And I just looked at her. She got that in church. Now it wasn't communion; it was high chair breakfast. But she, she listen. I'm just saying they pick up stuff even when they're three years old. They pick up stuff. It's never too, and so we need to make good habits. And I coerced, man. I had a belt, and I had a paddle, and we coerced. And I had a corner they could stand in. We coerced. But we did not coerce the salvation. That's God's deal. But you can, you can majorly help your children along by discipline. The power of influence has to be the final straw, though. And, and so we rob our children. We rob them of any chances when we don't even allow them to be disciplined, when we let them make the, the decisions, you know. Uh, it's amazing, as, as you've heard so many times, it's amazing that a child has to have all kinds of help in making all kinds of decisions. And now they're saying, but if they want to be a boy instead of a girl, they can make that decision completely on their own. Well, there's the power of influence from some wicked person going on there. And on top of that, there's a lot of hypocrisy and all that, not, a, not to mention abuse. But Philippians 2.15 talks about shining his lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We are to shine his lights. Let our light shine. And Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What's God teaching us? To, he's emphasizing that we have an influence through the light that shines. Now, this is not lifestyle evangelism where all we do is just let our light shine, but we never talk. Oh, no. Remember, freedom of speech is a huge part in this. In fact, I read this in my reading today. My Bible, my Bible devotions today I read, Job 6.25a, and it says, How forcible are right words. Words have power. That's why freedom of speech is not allowed in certain places. Because words are powerful. That's why, and, and by the way, I can't, can you think of any more right words? Can you think of any more right words than this right here? Not right opinions, right words. That's why I love the signs, the Bible verse signs that some of us have posted. You can't get better than the Bible. Let the very words, the right words of God, and speak the word and hand tracks that have the word of God on them. How forcible are right words? That's influence. That's not just, I'm just going to live in front of them without ever saying anything. Come on, that's dumb. That's not, that's not using all the influence that you have. Use the right words as well. That's part of our job. It doesn't say go into all the world and shine the gospel. It's just go into all the world and preach the gospel. That includes shining. If you're not shining, then your preaching is hypocritical. But we should walk and talk what we say we believe. And so, write words. So my children, they caught it and they heard it and they believed it. And others have caught it and heard it and believed it. And so we have to use words. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what's not allowed in our public schools today? The First Amendment and the Second Amendment. Not allowed. 
not even American school. It's communist school. You can't practice the First Amendment or the Second Amendment in that school right down there. It's not American. Try it. Preach Jesus Christ and carry the word of God in a public school. You can't do it. That's why they're cesspools. And the bigger the community, the more cesspool they are. Because there's less influence. And, and by the way, they can't even have it on the wall. Because words have power. Thou shalt not kill. No other gods. <gasps> Who wrote that? They can't have it on the wall because it's influential. I think we ought to be taking the word of God and using it and plastering it and talking about it and sharing it everywhere we go. The word has power. God's word. And so in our home as children, they learn the word of God. And we sing it as we sing in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And we read it and we talk about it and we go over it. And over, not just the ideas of God or the stories of God, the very words of God. And we read them. And then you know what happens when they disobey? If they know the word of God and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the Bible. That's God's, or at least my dad said it was God's word. What if it really is? We can't force anyone to become a Christian. It's not right to violate a man's will. Because we know this, we understand the power, the powerful tool of influence. And aren't they admitting that it's powerful by the fact that they can't have it in their halls, in their government, government institutions, their government buildings? They've changed the separation of church and state to mean something else. When that, was, when that concept was first understood, it was understood that you, you, there is no establishment of religion. In other words, the country can't be Baptist and the country can't be Catholic. There is a freedom of religion. Not freedom from religion, but a freedom of religion. But now it's freedom from religion. That's what they call it today. We need to understand then we still have the influential power. We might have lost some things and maybe they have blocked the influence because, and, and by default, truth is not afraid of an examination. So if they won't allow, the government I'm saying, won't allow God's word into their property that they control, they're admitting that it has power. What does it say when the Bible is illegal in 42 different countries? What does that say? It's got power. All right? So we need to take the word of God and preach it and use it and teach it. We must be separated to God and from the world. We need to live it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must live godly lives in front of the people around us. And if we conform to the world, we lose our influence. But that's exactly the opposite of what the modern Christianity says. Modern Christianity says, let's sound like them. Oh, that really gets them saved. No, you're just saying that your music's so bad that you got to have their music in order to get them saved. And you know what? It doesn't produce anything. It doesn't, it doesn't produce anything. I think most of the Christians in Custer ain't. 
Most of the Christians in America ain't because we watered it down to try to make a bigger audience. And we want to, well, you know what? If we would dress more like them. Every time you do that, you're telling them that your, what you believe isn't strong enough by itself. Listen, we need to stop that junk. I don't need Christ's music to sound like Elvis or Kiss or Led Zeppelin or Alice or anybody else. I don't need it to sound like that in order to try to get someone to listen. I don't need to look like the latest pop star to try to get them to listen. I just need to live a godly life and let my light shine. And the power of influence will eventually take off. You know why? Because what attracts them is the fact that you're not afraid or ashamed to be different. What you're telling them when you do it the other way is you don't want to be different. And you're trying to make Jesus cool. That's not the power of influence. We'll never make a difference without being different. See, we need to be holy to God and separate from the world. Separation to God and from the world. And that does make a difference. That's what's going to reach people. See, the Baptists in the early days of this nation said we're going to be different. Not because we're trying to be different, but because we can't do it your way. Come on, all you got to do is just, you know, just... Just go along with the flow and do whatever built. No, we can't. We can't do that. That's not right. We can't do that. Bible says in First Peter two nine that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. We're not trying to be peculiar, but we're peculiar. Years ago, I was taught, and and this isn't even in my notes or anything, but I was taught years ago that men should look like men and ladies should look like ladies. And, and the Bible teaches there's certain attire for men and there's certain attire for women. And, you know, for years, it's like, oh, you're so old-fashioned and, oh, that's so ridiculous. And what are you, some kind of a cult? No, we're just, have you ever gone into the Hot Springs Evans Plunge? Do you know how they used to dress when they went swimming in Hot Springs? Just go in there and look at it. It's more modest. The swimsuits that they have in those black and white photos are more modest than what some people go to church in today. Oh, you just, you're so old-fashioned. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and oh, man, you're just, you guys are just, what, what's up with that? You know, you, you're so enslaved to this old-fashionedness. So now what we have is we have a problem where guys want to wear girls' clothes. I I think I'll go to church where they still know what a guy and a girl is supposed to look like. And what's happening is, is that eventually the world has run out of things to do and things to try. And they look back and say, well, maybe that old-fashioned way is the right way. And it is if it's God's way. It's always the right way. The more the churches become like the world, the less influence they are going to have on the world. It's not the other way around. Christian rock came out, I think, in the 70s. And the idea of Christian rock was to reach the lost. 
And really all it did was entertain the Christian. It didn't really reach the lost. And everything that they've tried to blend Christianity with something else, it doesn't really work. What we need to do is recognize there is a difference that God would have us to be and not to be any more different than necessary. I don't want to be any more weird than I have to be. But at the same time, I don't mind if I'm peculiar. Because if I live in a world where they don't even know what a boy and a girl looks like anymore, they don't even know what boys and girls are anymore, if, if, if I don't agree with that and I'm just standing still while they're drifting, I don't care if I look peculiar. I'm in a weird world. I don't care if I stand out. I'm in a weird world. And if you're a believer, you're going to stand out sooner or later if you're following the book. And we have the power of influence. And I know it works. I know it works. Because there's people in here who are not old enough to vote. They're not old enough to be an official member of this church. But they've made decisions about this very thing. They've made decisions to be different and just to just do what they think they should do. They don't have to. They don't have to to be my friend. They don't have to to score some kind of brownie points. But you know why? I think it's because of the power of influence. And if you can prove the perfect will of God, because you are different, but not only are you different, it works for you. And it's a blessing. And God is pleased. Other people will notice. And other people say, you know what? I want to be different too. I want to be what God wants me to be. There's a great power of influence. But if you say amen at church or if you say to your kids, you need to listen to the preacher and you need to do that. But then on, on the other side, you're not. There's a double standard there and there's a hypocrisy there. And that's why I think over there in the book of Timothy, there is that parenthesis that says, a man needs to be able to rule his own house well if he's going to take care of the church of God. For if a man can't rule his own house well, how, how shall he take care of the church of God? It's in parentheses. And I think that's parentheses, a very important verse, because it's saying, look, if the preacher can't even influence his own family, then how's he supposed to take care of the church of God? And shame on me if my own family doesn't want to practice what I'm preaching. Because something's wrong. We have personal accountability to God. We are individual priests in our home. Individual priesthood of every person that's a believer. Uh, I look down and I see Daniel. You will answer for Daniel. Jada will answer for Jada. Larry will answer for Larry. Charity will answer for Charity. Every individual will answer for themselves to God. And we need to understand the importance of that. And as priests of our own lives, we need to understand that we have Jesus and that's all we need to get to God and talk to him. And then as the power of influence, we have a great opportunity, whether it's to be a martyr for God, whether it's to stand up and suffer for the Lord. And, And do you understand that the American Revolution really didn't start with guns and muskets? It started when a bunch of people were sacrificial in the 1600s and the early 1700s. 
That's why they were willing to fight for it in the first place because they knew it was a special thing going on. And that's where it really started because they knew Obadiah, Grandpa Obadiah got whipped at the stake. And and we've seen all kinds of religious persecution and we're gonna stand and fight against this because of sacrifice. I think when we get to heaven, we'll find out all the sacrificers behind the scenes that never got credit. George Washington himself said, of all the chaplains in my army, the Baptists are my favorite. The power of influence. Are we influencing others? Do we have an influential life? We're personally accountable to God. We will answer to him. I'm over time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to preach and talk about what your word says. There's so many things that we tend to drift with the world in. I can't possibly think of them all and name them all. But we we tend to, we, we human beings, we don't want to look weird or different or be different. We don't want to sacrifice. But that's what it requires as a Christian to be a living sacrifice. Thank you for the good influence of Christians who are sacrificial, who are a blessing. Please convict the hearts of parents and young people alike who are not doing right, who are not obeying and not taking the step of obedience that it might be costly. Help us to realize the importance of one day standing before you and giving an account. Help us to swear to our own hurt and change not. Help us to be truly influential and not just average. Help us to really make a difference in someone's life and to be a powerful influence. Thank you, Lord, that you have proven that it works. Help us to continue to follow your way. And thank you, God, that we are, we are personally one-on-one accountable to you. Thank you, God, that you, you think of us as individuals. Thank you that you didn't program us as minions and robots. Thank you you gave us a free will and a free choice. Help us to desire to reach others with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.